You know, some people tell us they wish they could have an episode of Murder in the Rain every week. And you know who gets to have one every week? Our Patreon subscribers. That's why we want to give a big shout out and thank you to our newest members, Heidi D. from Beaverton, Sunny W. from Oregon City, Oregon, Bryn W. from Seattle, Washington, and Kelly B. from Marietta, California. Enjoy all those mini episodes and extra bloopers and bonus content that you get. And if you're jealous of hearing their name and all of the goodies they get, you can join us at patreon.com and just search for Murder in the Rain. I'm Emily Rowney. And I'm Alicia Holland. This is Bill Camp, the voice of Forensic Files 2 on HLN, and you're listening to Murder in the Rain. In today's episode, we talk about the infamous Susan Monica and the details around her 2014 arrest for the murders of Robert Haney and Stephen Delacino, a story straight out of a crime novel. The question remains, were there more pieces of men buried in the ground of her quiet slice of farm paradise? As those of you familiar to Oregon know, and likely those that have a nice, solid stereotype of Oregon in your head, we don't all live in the bustling cities like Portland and Salem. Some of us dwell in quiet neighborhoods and vast farmlands. Much of Oregon is made up of farmland. In fact, there are over 38,000 farms here in Oregon, spanning from hops, cherries, corn, and Christmas trees, to cattle, hogs, horses, and salmon. Pretty much anything you can farm, even minks. Oregon's agricultural products bring in roughly $8 billion to the Oregon state economy each year. Now, this may sound obvious, but having a lot of farms means we run into a lot of farm accidents. Each day, there are about 100 farming injuries in the United States, and on average, there are a little over 400 deaths per year. Now, in the big picture, that doesn't seem like a whole lot, but that's about 20 out of every 100,000 farm workers. And sure, farming has nothing on the mortality rates of jobs like commercial fishing, which is seven times as high, but it's still listed as one of the top 10 categories of fatal work injuries. Most non-fatal farm injuries result from slipping and falling, according to the disability claims, and the number one cause of farm deaths is classified as transportation injuries, the majority of which is made up of tractor accidents. Non-fatal disability claims can come from a number of different reasons, including livestock injuries. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there were 75,000 worker comp filings and 375 deaths for animal-related injuries between the years of 1992 and 1997. Doing the math quickly, that's 75 deaths per year in the United States caused by farm animals. When looking at those deaths, many come from cattle and horses due to kicking and trampling deaths, but there are tons more animals. People get hurt by just about any animal that is farmed, between kicks, bites, and stings. This can be an overwhelming thought when you consider just how many animals are farmed. There are over 100 million cows, 67 million hogs and pigs, and nearly 5 million horses in the United States. That's a lot of animals. Big animals, animals that when not treated with respect and precaution can cause a lot of damage, which reminds me of a story. In late November of 2012, 69-year-old Terry Gardner went about his duties on his farm in Coquille, Oregon. That morning, he was out feeding his animals, but when he didn't return to his home on his normal schedule, his family started to worry. When they went out to the farm to go look for Terry, they were aghast to find that only a little bit of Terry was left to be found. 
There, inside the hog pen, were Terry's dentures and a few pieces of his body. Terry Gardner had been eaten by his own hogs. Looking at the history of these particular hogs, there had been a previous incident. According to Terry's brother, in 2011, Terry was bitten by one of the hogs when he accidentally stepped on her piglet. This incident made Terry consider putting the sow down, but he ultimately decided against it and kept her. Considering many of these sows were 700 pounds or more, it was not a stretch for people to have concern that the hogs may have instigated this recent situation. For those of you who, like me, are not pig experts, a typical female pig is about 250 to 300 pounds, so having them over 700 pounds is pretty rare. Investigators considered what could have happened to Terry. Most people theorize that he had some sort of medical situation, such as a heart attack, and maybe fell and ended up getting eaten by opportunist pigs. But there was more to be considered. Was this an accident or the perfect crime? They couldn't rule out the possibility that someone wanted Terry dead. From what I can tell, there were never any details released on the results of the investigation into Terry's death. We just don't know whether it was an accident resulting in his body being eaten, killer pigs who took their farmer down on purpose, or some devious plot by another human. Since details were never officially released to us, I think this means we can assume officials believe it was an accident. But who knows? Terry's story isn't an isolated incident. There are other cases from around the world where something similar happened to other people. In 2014, a toddler was mauled and eaten by a sow in China. Two-year-old Ua So, or Kiki as his family called him, was playing in the garden outside of his home. His parents went inside for a few moments and heard screaming. Kiki had crawled into the pig pen near the garden, where he was promptly mauled by a sow who had newborn piglets she was guarding. His parents rushed outside to find the sow chewing on their son's head. The sow was then gutted soon after so the parents could prove that she had attacked their son, which was validated when they found Kiki's hair and skull fragments in her stomach. A 46-year-old Romanian farmer named Alexandru Pop died in 2015 when he was eaten alive by his hogs. Like Terry, he went out to feed his pigs and didn't return as expected. His nephew went out to find him and discovered him in the pig pen, bloodied and missing half of his face. It's thought he suffered a heart attack and fell where his pigs promptly attacked. In 2019, a Russian woman had an epileptic seizure when she was feeding her hogs. As she collapsed to the ground, they began to bite her face and ears. She ultimately ended up dying of blood loss from the bite she suffered. If these situations can happen so easily by accident, it just makes you think. It makes me wonder about all of the people that go missing, particularly from rural areas and how much easier it is to hide a body when you're out on a farm in an isolated area with access to hogs. Most of us are aware of the tropes around pigs and getting rid of bodies. What's the first thing that comes to your mind, Alicia? Hannibal. What specifically? Well, spoiler alert, you've had some time to watch it and he takes the guy and puts him in the pig pen and calls in the pigs and... And it doesn't go well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yes. And here are the common ones that I think most of us know. The mafia gets rid of bodies by feeding them to pigs. That a pig can eat a human body in eight minutes. That pigs will eat every part of a human, making them the perfect way to get away with murder. No body, no crime, right? Well, as you can imagine, these are exaggerations. So here's what we actually know. 
Pigs are omnivores, meaning they eat plants and animals. And there have been documented incidents where pigs even eat pork. So let's start with the mafia trope. This actually might be true. There's a case from 2012 where a man was fed alive to pigs by the Italian mafia. 20 people in or associated with the mafia were considered suspects to the retaliation murders of five people. These murders were in response to the murder of a crime boss called Domenico Bonarigio. He was shot while driving his car, so his mafia family went to work making their rival family pay for what they did. On a wiretap police put on one of the suspected killer's phones, they heard a man named Simone Pepe bragging about feeding Francisco Ricosta to pigs while he was still alive. Francisco was indeed one of the victims and his body had never been found. So perhaps this trope is true. Well, and in that area, you know, not to be totally stereotypical, but New Jersey and all of that, you do have a lot of pig farms. You've got a lot of pork factories. You've got this a lot of- Italy, Italian. Oh, this is Italian, Italian? Yeah. Well, I'm sure they got a lot of farms too, but- <laughs> They make a lot of sausage. I'm sure that that carried over to the U.S. because that area of the East Coast, you do have so many farms. Okay, now for eating a body in eight minutes. This actually comes from the movie Snatch. In the movie, the character Brick Top says that pigs are the best way to get rid of a body and goes on to say that you have to starve them for a few days and get them really hungry. He specifies that each pig can eat two pounds of uncooked flesh per minute. Thus, you would need 16 pigs to eat a 200-pound body in eight minutes. And to be totally honest, I don't know if this is true or not, but let's break it down a bit. A pig can eat up to eight pounds of feed per day, and they are omnivores. So this could potentially be doable with a great number of pigs, right? Yeah. I mean, depending on the, the body size. There. Yeah, I feel like it seems logical. We've already gone through a handful of documented cases of pigs eating people both dead and alive. So I'm not going to discount this one. I'm not able to verify the specifics. So let's just label this one as possible. Okay. And lastly, pigs eat everything. In that same Snatch quote, Bricktop mentions you need to shave the hair off the body and pull out their teeth due to the limitations to the pig's digestion. This is close to true. Pigs can eat through human bones, but they would have difficulty with long bones like femurs and thick bones like skulls and vertebrae, but they can manage if they're broken down into pieces. In the case of Terry Garner, very little was left, but Bricktop is right. Pigs can't digest teeth. They might eat them, but they'll poop them out. And I'm not sure about the hair. Doesn't that make an interesting point to the first case you mentioned of the guy that fell in and they just found his dentures in like a couple pieces? It's like, they how were... long were you Yeah, because not they, looking for they him? They said he was only gone like two or three hours past. So it's how hungry were they? Yeah. How many were there? But they were incredibly large. He had multiple sows true, that were, were that 700 big. pounds. And if they Still, were protecting piglets i mean i questionable i think one of the things a lot of those cases have in common are there were mother sows right with so they're piglets. extra it's not Aggressive. so much i'm hungry it's i'm going to kill you for yeah. getting near my everything babies. in their body is telling them to protect their yeah. babies i'd say overall the tv tropes exaggerate but the point is it's not a half bad idea to get rid of a body using hogs and that's what today's case is about this is one that makes you realize how easy it is for some people to kill and how easy it is for some people to get rid of all the traces of what they've done. Well, almost all the traces.
In December of 2013, Jesse Haney and his family started to worry because they hadn't heard from their father, Robert Haney, in two months. Once Robert's kids began looking into why they hadn't heard from him, their world was shattered. Robert Haney was 56 years old, single, and living the life of a nomadic bachelor. He had previously been married and had five children, all of which were now grown. Robert and his ex-wife, Falia, were married, started a family, and then decided to call it quits in 2003. Robert moved with his children to Medford, Oregon, where he could easily find work doing odd jobs. As his kids got older and moved out to begin their lives as adults, he looked for a job where he could work for cash. He had a camper and his trusty dog sidekick and was willing to move to a number of remote locations for the right job. In 2013, he answered a job listing posted on Craigslist. The post was looking for a handyman slash laborer slash carpenter. The owner, a female veteran, was looking for help on her very rural farm in Rogue River, Oregon. Robert answered the ad and made a deal with the woman to be paid in cash, live on her property, and work to build her a house from scratch. The land was as rural as you can imagine. No electricity, no running water, no septic system. A true rough living ranch. The last place Robert's family knew he was living at was this ranch, so they made a trip to see the owner on January 1st, 2014. Susan Monica, the ranch owner, met the Haney's on the property and told them she hadn't seen Robert in four months. She wanted them to collect his property and get on their way. As Robert's son Jesse approached his father's trailer, he started to have major concerns, and in his gut, he knew something was very wrong. His dad had very few items that meant the world to him, and all of them were left behind. His leather jacket and his tools, and which were used for his livelihood, were there in the trailer. And more alarming, his beloved dog was roaming the property. It just didn't sit right with the family. So the Haney children left the property and file a missing person report. Despite the fact that Robert's children only heard from their father every few weeks and he was an adult who was known to take odd jobs wherever his trailer would be welcome to stay, police took their claims very seriously. His son was adamant that though Robert didn't call every day, he was always consistent to stay in touch and let them know where he would be working and living. There were also concerns about Robert's mental state at the time. Recent events in the family caused some severe stress on Robert. One of his family members called to let him know that they had been assaulted, and this news seemed to wreak havoc on Robert and his well-being. He began drinking heavily. Neighbors and friends were witness to his nightly outbursts when he was drinking, where he promised revenge on the person who did this to his loved one. Despite taking the disappearance seriously, police thought it could be challenging to find Robert. Not only was he moving from place to place and taking jobs that paid in cash, but he didn't have a credit card or even a bank account. Detectives started by interviewing the people that were known to have last seen Robert. This led them to head out to the farm where Robert worked and inquire about his whereabouts from the owner, Susan. Susan Monica was incredibly friendly and helpful when they arrived. She said that Robert had spent about six months living on her property, helping to build her home. She mentioned that four months prior, he had decided to leave, and in the weeks building up to that decision, he showed signs of depression and had been drinking heavily. Sometime in September of 2013, he had come to her to ask if she would take care of his dog while he went out of town. He gave her money and got into a white sedan with a male friend she didn't recognize and never returned. 
She also mentioned that Robert said he wanted to get revenge on someone who wronged one of his family members. So this was in line with what police were hearing from other people in the area. The search for Robert Haney continued and police focused on shelters, hospitals, and local jails, but there was no Robert. Then they realized while Robert didn't have credit cards, he did have an Oregon Trail card. The Oregon Trail card is an EBT card or electronic benefits transfer card that people apply for so they can get government assistance with groceries. This card could be tracked. Police end up determining that the last activity on the card was from December of 2013, around the time Robert's family began worrying about him. In early January of 2014, police determined the last purchase made on the card was at the Walmart in Grants Pass. This is about 28 minutes from the farm he worked at. They go to the Walmart and are able to view the surveillance footage from the store the day the purchase was made. Their hope was one of two things. One, they see Robert on the tape and are able to maybe gather some clues about where he went. Or two, they see someone else on the tape using his card and finally have a lead on a person of interest in his disappearance. As you may have expected, it's number two. And who do you think they see? Susan. Susan Monica. Oh, snap. She has some explaining to do. After this short break from our sponsors, we'll be back to learn more about Susan Monica, ranch owner and potential murderer. Susan Monica was born July 8, 1948, in the state of California. Susan, who was born Stephen Buchanan, served in the Navy during Vietnam. After being honorably discharged, Stephen began the transition to become a woman. Now, living as Susan Monica, she continued to work as a submarine engineer in San Francisco for several years before making the move to Oregon. In 1991, Susan purchased 20 acres of woodland outside Weimar, Oregon. She sought a simple life, one where she could live quietly and pursue her interests. Susan started a farm where she raised chickens and pigs, and she also ran a company called White Queen Construction that made wrought iron fences and gates. The farm was without the comforts most people can't live without, but Susan seemed to like her seclusion and rough living. She turned the incredibly remote land into a farm and began to work to build her own house. This is what brought her to post an ad on Craigslist seeking a handyman to help her. After learning that Susan had been the one to use Robert Haney's EBT card last, police returned to the farm to speak to her, this time with a warrant to search her property. When police tell her that they know she used Robert's EBT card and was seen on video doing so, she appeared to get very nervous. Susan immediately explained that it was because she was caring for his dog. Not only had he given her cash, but he also gave her his EBT card, which is now expired, meaning she could no longer use his money. Susan Monica is taken to the police station and the search of the property commences to look for signs of Robert or his belongings. The first thing investigators notice about the property is it is a hot mess, a hoarder's personal paradise. This woman has kept everything. Not only is her own shit throughout the property, but investigators find tons of belongings that she's collected from other people. The property has a garbagey decay smell throughout. One of the investigators describes that you probably wouldn't be able to smell a dead body among the garbage in boxes because everything smelled so bad. As one investigator began videotaping the property, he made a startling discovery. There on the ground near a partially created pond was what appeared to be a human leg bone. 
At first glance, the bone looked to be severed from somewhere along the femur and was intact all the way down to the toes. What started as a warrant looking for clues to a man's disappearance turns into a full-blown homicide investigation, and it's about to get a whole lot worse. Detectives start questioning Susan at the station and ask her whether or not anyone has died on the property. She immediately says no. But this is when they drop the bomb on her, that they found a human leg on her property. And she begins to backpedal, and an elaborate story unfolds. She details that one morning in September of 2013, she went outside to the pig pen to discover the pigs huddled around something. As she came closer, she realized they were all gathered around Robert, who was bloody and on the ground. She begins pulling pigs off of him and realizes his intestines were spilled out and the pigs were eating him. At first, he wasn't moving, but then she heard him moan and saw one of his arms move. This is when she realized he wasn't going to survive, so she ran to the house and gets her gun. When she returned, she took aim and shot Robert in the head. She said she didn't want him to suffer and, quote, did what she would do to any other animal, meaning put it out of its misery. She then decided to let the pigs finish what they started. She stripped Robert's clothes off and left him in the pig pen for multiple days, hoping the pigs would eat his entire body. After a few days, there were still some pieces of Robert left, so she picked up what little the pigs left behind, placed him into a few plastic garbage bags, and buried them on the property. As you know, one of the investigators found Robert's leg bone just sitting on the ground of a partially created pond, so it's thought that a coyote likely dug at the buried bags, made a hole, and pulled the leg free, dragging it to the pond dirt, where it left it for someone to find. When she was asked why she didn't call 911 after she got the pigs away from Robert, Susan said she was worried about her pigs. She didn't want them to get put down once authorities found out that they had eaten him. Detectives found her to be very cold and callous throughout their interviews, noting that she had a complete disregard for Robert and only remorse for her pigs. In her interview, she said the following, quote, I do not value human life very much. My feeling is the only thing wrong with the planet is there's people on it. Police asked Susan if they would find more bodies on her property, to which she began to get upset. Rather than tell them more, she asked for a piece of paper and a pencil and started to draw a map of the pig pens. And just outside of the pig pen, she marked an X. Under that X, she said they would find more. <laughs> X marks the spot where they would find a man she called Steve. She goes on to tell police that Stephen Delacino was another handyman who lived in the area that helped her out the year prior to Robert's death. Steve, too, had died on the property, and she buried his remains outside of the pig pen. She initially went on to describe that Steve shot himself in the head multiple times, but it wasn't long before she detailed another story to police. Steve had been working for Susan on her property for some time when she claimed she discovered two of her guns went missing. She decided to search Steve's property and found both guns. That's when she went to confront him outside of her barn and things got out of hand. Susan carried a gun in her hand and Stephen attempted to take it from her. The pair got into a scuffle and as he got the gun out of her grasp, she took it back and that's when the gun went off, hitting him in the head. The shot didn't kill him, and he got back up to continue after her. 
That's when she ran back to the barn, got another gun, and shot him again in the head. She said the second shot resulted in his death. Unlike with Robert, she didn't know what to do right away. She was in a daze and left him on the ground and went back to the house. As she laid on her bed trying to collect herself, she realized she had made a terrible mistake and the pigs had been out of their pen. She hurried back to the spot where Steve had fallen to find that he was no longer there. According to her, the pigs had gotten to his body and dragged him back to their pen where they began to eat his body. Again, she left the body for a few days to let the pigs finish off what they started and found that the only thing they didn't eat was his skull and spine, so she buried what was left. Steve had a lot of similarities with Robert. At 59 years old, he was just three years older than him. Steve, too, was a bit of a nomad, taking jobs place to place. But unlike Robert, he wasn't in regular contact with his family, making him a perfect victim. Again, investigators asked why she didn't call police after the incident. After all, it was an accident. She claimed she was so distraught after not knowing what to do, and by the time she came to her senses, the pigs had gotten to him and she saw it was too late. Again, she wanted to avoid the euthanization of her pigs. At this point, police are realizing they have a bit more on their hands than anticipated. Here sits before them a possible serial killer, so naturally they go on to ask her if there are more victims. That's when she makes a comment that sends chills down the investigator's spines. She told them there were 17 others, but she didn't want to give details about them because she didn't want to spend the rest of her life in jail. Susan Monica was then arrested for two counts of murder and two counts abuse of a corpse. While she was arrested and sat in jail, police resumed their search of the property. They were a few days in when they discovered the rest of Robert's body hidden in bags near the pig pen. They eventually found a makeshift grave containing Steve Delacino's body not far from the areas specified in her hand-drawn map. When they were fairly certain they had found both Robert and Stephen, police contacted their families to share the devastating news. Yes, they found their loved ones, but unfortunately, their deaths were under investigation for homicide, and they had been treated with such disregard after their death that a normal person likely can't even fathom it. I can't imagine how painful it would have been to tell someone that, let alone to hear that that happened to someone you loved. They continued to search the property for three weeks, wondering every day if they would uncover more remains. Susan's cryptic words about a possible 17 additional victims made investigators hyper-focused and they decided to excavate as much of the property as they could. They dug 136 holes throughout the 20 acres and discovered quite a few areas that had potential remains. However, upon testing it, it turned out that all 400 bone fragments they located and tested were non-human animals. During the search, a giant pile of shoes in a variety of sizes was located. I find this incredibly creepy. It's like so many of our cases have some sort of abandoned or collected shoe. Like it's such a red flag to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. It's like when you drive down the highway and you see a shoe, a shoe. on the side of the road. And I can't help but think of like the worst yeah. possible situation. And that's similar to this case. It gave the investigators such a bad feeling that they thought, well, this is proof there are more victims. Especially out there, like in a farmland, because you need your shoes. I think that's part of what's kind of eerie about it. Yeah, like how they get If away. you're on a freeway or you're on a farm or you're out in the woods, it's like you wouldn't just bring extra shoes and you wouldn't leave without them. Right. So why is this here? 
So some of the owners of these shoes were people who actually spent time working on the property. And luckily, police were able to track them all down and verify they were alive and well. Who to thunk? I know. Susan Monica's trial began on April 15, 2015. She pleaded not guilty to two counts murder, two counts abuse of a corpse, and one count identity theft. Prosecution went to work to prove that that was not the case and she was indeed guilty. They believe she killed both in cold blood and that she was entirely calculated and made the decision after killing each man to feed them to her pigs to get rid of their bodies. They decide to bring a witness to the stand to help support this. They call on Susan's former cellmate, Jordan Ferris. Ferris tells the court that Susan Monaco told her she shot Robert because he came onto her when he was drunk. She first shot him and then pushed him into the pig pen and watched as he struggled to get away from the pigs as they began to eat him alive. And then she finished the story by laughing. And the cellmate took this as obviously incredibly creepy and it made her believe like this was absolutely not an accident and this woman was telling the truth that she purposely killed him. Then Jordan offers evidence in the form of a birthday card that Susan had given her, and it was signed, quote, from the sweetest murderer in Jackson County. Now, the defense team, of course, says this card was a joke and it was consistent with Susan's very abnormal sense of humor. Her lawyer went on camera and suggested that it's pretty common for Susan to make inappropriate jokes about her situation, which I can kind of relate to when things get super awkward. I'll typically make a joke on my own the amount of trouble I've been in for a joke or my face or whatever because I'm trying to point out how ridiculous something is yeah so it's so I can see that but it's also like this is very serious lady you know what that (laughs) says that kind of speaks to me that like maybe she was dealing with some form of autism maybe to where I think there's more going on than that I definitely but I mean that little round like you tell me that that was kind of the bell that rung for me was like Maybe there's that social cue aspect, like perhaps that's part of what she's dealing with. There's obviously a lot more going on. There's definitely a time and a place for a joke to make yourself feel a little bit more comfortable. Not why you are on trial for Yeah, not before you've been either found guilty or (laughs) not guilty. It's just going to make you look worse. Yeah. While the court sees a lot of very serious evidence and testimony from very credible people, we can't have an Oregon murder case without some theatrics. Susan Monica decided she not only wanted to testify during her case, but she wanted to co-chair with her attorney so that she could question witnesses. She also had several outbursts and breakdowns at trial, like when she sobbed, saying she couldn't bear to watch when they played her videotape confessions, so the bailiff had to take her out of the courtroom. She also put on her own courtroom theatrics by demanding that the family leave the room so she can demonstrate how she shot Steve Delacino. It was all incredibly odd. Her antics didn't keep things off track for long. The medical examiner and the state police anthropologist took the stand to detail what they learned from the men's remains. First, the men were identified pretty quickly. Robert's finger allowed police to ID him, and Stephen's bones were matched to DNA from his brother. According to the Oregon State Police anthropologist, Robert Haney's leg that was found had been removed from his body with an axe, But it wasn't possible to determine if this was while he was dead or while he was still alive. Both men did have gunshot wounds to the head. Steve Delacino had three to four gunshot wounds in his skull, and Robert had at least one. But there was not enough information to know if Robert sustained the gunshot wound to his head while, again, 
alive or dead. Meaning we have two scenarios with him. Either the pigs did eat him while he was alive and he was shot after or during, or two, he was shot and then fed to the pigs. There's no way to really know based on the remains. I personally have a very graphic image in my head of Monica watching as Robert was slowly being eaten alive and shot him only in the very last moments. And I know that's incredibly morbid. And whether that happened or not, I just think she did it all very intentionally. It was no accident that he ended up in there. And I really do think she enjoyed what she did. Both bodies absolutely had signs of animal gnaw marks consistent with hogs, indicated their bodies had been feasted on. But again, in both cases, we're not sure what order the shooting and consumption actually went in. All we know is it was a horrific death for both men. The trial went on for six days, and after a one-hour deliberation, the jury came back with a guilty verdict on all counts. Monica received two life sentences, 25 years each. She would have to serve 50 years before she can be considered for parole, which means she'll spend the rest of her life in jail after all, even if there weren't 17 other bodies to find. Monica now lives in the Coffee Creek Correctional Facility with the likes of Amanda Jo Stotsmith, the child killer from episode 13, Help Me. Police and prosecution don't necessarily count out the idea that there were more men murdered by Monica. The property is vast and she herself alluded to there being more people that had died there. But so far, only Robert and Stephen are confirmed victims and there is no other evidence suggesting there are more. What are your thoughts? I I know I maybe shouldn't or it's viewed as bad, but I really kind of pity her. Who knows what her childhood was like? And that's not an excuse, but you hear how she talks about people. That sounds to me like someone that has dealt with a lot of trauma yes. and a lot of bad stuff. And I cannot imagine as a trans person uh, in a submarine situation. In the Navy in Vietnam. The Navy, yeah, like who mm -hmm. knows what she saw, what she went through, how she was treated. So right there, you kind of have that basis of like, well, of course she feels that way. Then you get to the victims, and I don't want to diminish what happened to them, but on one hand, you think it's very possible one of them got drunk and was inappropriate, and this is how, like, there's a reason she lives away from everyone to avoid that. And mm -hmm. so you can almost see or, like, understand where that coldness is coming from and compound that with very clear mental health issues um whether it's something you know like i said with the autism of making a joke that there's 17 more bodies because at first i was like you know this could have just been how it was and then her saying that then you're like oh hmm okay but then it's okay is that another example of bad yeah. humor and i think that's why we're here right the whole point of this podcast was we wanted to explore human nature and that is both on the victim and the the killer side yeah and i think you're right there's so much about her life that we do we don't know it's not documented right and to be a trans person at the at that time right going to vietnam coming out of it and realizing you want to be a woman you don't know what happened what trauma happened yeah what it was like growing up as a kid so I do feel like there's a huge piece of this picture missing, but clearly mental issues. Yeah, it really, I would categorize this how I feel about this case, kind of similar to Eileen Wuros, mm. where it's what you did was horrible and those people were victims and you took away lives. 
that's not okay. And that's over here. And then on the other side, you're like, well, I can see how that happened. You know, look at all this trauma and look at, of course, you don't want these guys around you. So this feels very similar to me in that it's a lot easier to understand, I suppose, it is. than it's, some other cases where you're like, how could you I'm do split, that? I'm though. Like, I, I do see that point. But then the callous disregard for human life and the way you would just get rid of someone like that and yeah. then only care about your pig's lives, that is really hard to reconcile. And obviously... I care more about those victims. Oh, right. But I do I do think there's clearly issues with her. And yeah, there's a that reason me, she did this. That screams major trauma where it's, I want these innocent, uh, voiceless creatures that I can care for. They, and that they we mean can relate more to. to me. Yeah. To that being meaning more to you than these people that came here and whether or not the guys made yeah. a pass or anything or took like advantage that. advantage of her. Like, I don't know what happened. Yeah, it's it's still horrific. And but then again, for the families. We can't place blame on victims who cannot defend themselves either. Oh, they, no, no, they no. That's, have done oh, that's, wrong. oh, that's not to the victim at all. That's more to say uh, her motive. That's not me mm. saying that that's on the victim at all. But it's more maybe that happened and that's where she uh, validated it. Mm. Um, but either way, no matter what, you still shot the guy yeah you still let him die and you you fed him went and used the card you don't justify it but it's almost because it's so horrific you can say oh she's out on the farm she's used to death because that's farm life and you're you know military so who knows what you saw at mm -hmm. war so it's you don't process it like that and so it's almost like if they had just shown up and she's like, oh, yeah, he fell in the pig pen and they started eating him. So I shot him and he's just like out there. You could almost grasp that. Well, and that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, had she called 911? But then it's like when I see you on the tape and you're using his money. Well, then let's talk about this like, part, mm, too. Mm -hmm. We discussed in the beginning how pigs have a really hard time with long bones and thick bones and that if you break them smaller, right, they'll be able to process like them. his leg being axed exactly off. so then if you think about that what's the as a juror put yourself mm -hmm. in the juror i'm thinking she killed them dismembered them Threw and them then fed them to the pigs right knowing that right. she's a smart lady which is so intensely horrific right i mean that's what's kind of fascinating about this case is it's a spectrum of you can go one side and go, oh, I really pity her. That must have been like a horrible life. And then you have these guys coming into your space that whatever, and then they fall into the thing and it's a tragic accident. And then you go the other way and go, you are the sickest monster to have walked the earth. Mm -hmm. You cut people up to feed to your pigs. And that then is monstrous. Have these elaborate stories about what happened. And yeah. yeah, that's human nature. Like we try to justify what we did or explain it to someone, but I can't get past that. Yeah. You know she's smart. She knew what pigs could eat and what they couldn't. Mm -hmm. And and she's done it before. Right. And, you know, who knows? I'd be Maybe really, there are more victims. I'd be really fascinated to hear um, the entire court process or trial process to, like, watch those videos to see why did it take them only an hour was it that she was she, theatrical was the theatrics, and she I was think. like, and you go and you go, whoa, there could this be some, you know, bias and, and judgment. And I actually have a point in here. I was surprised because this case could go either way. Now, with Oregon law, in order to get that murder charge to stick, prosecution has to prove an intent to kill. Mm. And with the story she was sticking to, it could have gone either yeah. way. It really could have. She maybe abused a corpse. 
but it could have been an accidental murder. Yeah, they could have leaned into that. Right. And that, to me, would have been enough doubt that I would have been like, I don't think I right. can convict so them. Right, so how she presented herself exactly. in court, I definitely think had an impact. And I wish we did have those tapes. You can get some short snippets oh, okay. from news on YouTube. But I have been unable to find the like entire mm. um, interview in the court without news anchors right, talking over right. it. So I'll keep looking. But... Yeah, I think that's a because, and what I would imagine the difference being is that I can sit here and I can paint her in any kind of picture I want. Mm -hmm. And I can say, well, she was probably a victim for all these years. And then she's continuing the cycle of abuse and horrible things. But if I was sitting in a courtroom and the picture is being painted for me and I'm like, whoa, this person is cold. And no one's telling you that she had abuse in her childhood. Yeah. She's just standing there going, who cares if they died? While the family members are behind them sobbing after hearing the most gruesome or awful details ever. I don't ever. care about human life in front of them. That's yeah. why she wanted them to leave. She didn't want to hear herself saying it. Yeah. That's when you go, I could see as a jury how you go, yeah, yeah this person is not well and this person is very But an dangerous. hour is pretty short for a murder trial of two yeah. people. Yeah, I Life agree. sentence. And just be like, and we're, we all agree, right? She's she got to go. So there, okay. I mean, I think the prosecution did a, a really like detailed good job. Yeah. But I think the defense had a real, real hard time with her wanting to represent herself, too. And I think it all would come down to the money. For me, that's the that's the switch. Oh, that when she people, uses money? When people are looking for people, when someone's missing, if someone's dead, if you had just called the police and said, I had this farm guy, he fell in the pit, I shot him to put him out of his misery there's a problem. Yeah. That would have been completely different and she could have gotten away with it. Manslaughter probably. If that. If yeah. not like well, let's coming go back to some sort of even deal. even further. Did she plan this by posting ads for people who only took right? cash? Was this planned all along? I thought of that one woman from Oh, when is it? Early like 1930s or 40s? Oh yeah, in, I like, love that Indiana, story. I know. <laughs> uh, Bell Gunnis. Yes. Yeah, she would write ads and yeah. have men come out to her property after giving up all of their riches to her. Yeah. Not so when you said that, trail. when she said that there was a second one, I was like, oh my gosh, is this just yeah. her way of disposing of humans? Ooh, should I do a Patreon on Bell Gunnis for all the people yes. that might not know that case? Oh my gosh, yes. Because it's it's like this on steroids. I love of it. Horror. I love that case, but it's so done. Like a right. lot of podcasts cover it. I wouldn't assume No, I think that'd be it. a nice compliment to this just yeah, to maybe I'll do that. paint the picture of what a serial killer using pigs would be like is very different than this person, or is it? Was is this it? woman a serial are killer? Are the methods similar, just the manner of how they killed And why it are you saying, why would you even joke that there were 17 more? Now let's talk about this too. So in when you look up Susan Monica, you're gonna see a lot of convicted killer. Quote, she's a convicted uh-huh. killer. But you will find a couple references calling her a serial killer, which I find mm. interesting because the definition of serial killer by the FBI is that it's someone who's murdered three, three. or more people yeah. and they do it for some sort of gratification and there's a cooling off period and they typically do it in a predictable manner, which she fits all of that except, except for the, the three, three people. I kind of do consider her a serial killer because I absolutely think she would have continued to do it if she didn't get caught also who's to say that five years before she didn't do it right they, she just might have done it right then, like I guess. a really long cooling period or did something different or with the, the pigs bones, ate or... everything I, yeah there's so much more to it now if you also google serial killer definition the oxford dictionary now says 
series of murders, not three. So mm. perhaps it's kind of changing. She kind of is. Because I think she fits every category. I mean, of she that. had an MO. That's Definitely. Faux show. Faux show. A faux show MO is what we call that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I personally think she should be classified as one, even if it's a little outside of the box that we have currently. Right. Because I think that is changing. Oh, I'm just so torn. This one's really fascinating. It, it is. It was just kind of like, oh, I want to okay, know more. Really... I want to talk to her. I want to interview people. There's more. So maybe, maybe at some point we can do an update episode yeah. where we have a little bit more girth to it because I, I actually got this case idea from an uh, investigator who I had coffee with. Oh, Remember a couple nice. of years yeah. ago, my chiropractor was like, oh, my husband's an investigator. Yeah. You guys should go get coffee. Which felt weird. It was like I was getting set up on a date with someone's <laughs> husband, but he, and he was cute too. Anyway, he told me about this case, and he said it was bonkers. You got to look yeah. into it. And so when I did, I said, "Absolutely, we're doing it. Let me know if you can talk about it." And I don't think he could. Right. Um, but who knows? Maybe he can. Yeah, depending on like appeal situations and stuff. Yeah, like he's that. like a he was a photography assistant for one of the crime technicians, and then he ended up oh, becoming one too because okay. he liked it so much. That's really cool. Yeah. What an interesting case. Yeah, I'm going to be pondering this one for a while. It's good. It makes you really think about the human condition from all angles. Like you empathize so much with the family mm -hmm. of the people seeking their loved ones mm -hmm. with the loved ones who are these men with their own difficulties and alcoholism and they have their own traumas. Right. And then and they're being me, taken advantage of. End. Horrible. N not I not even the they, worst person. I hope should go they like were this. shot in the head first. And I know that sounds terrible to say. No, but I, I think in the circumstances, yeah. I hope that she, for whatever reason, killed them and shot them in the head, and then, and then did whatever she did to the bodies and put them with. Yeah, the I hope the the story about Robert being eaten alive was fabricated because that is just too yeah. horrific to comprehend. Yeah, and it's. I think what's kind of scary about it too. Is that it's pigs because you don't so think, like us. you're like, oh, pigs are, you know, genetically we're basically pigs and they're so smart. They're smart as little kids and, uh, you know, all these things that we know about them. And then it's like, oh, they're cute and they have their little snouts and all that stuff. So it's hard. But we slaughter them to eat them. And we sure do. They're farmed in horrific ways, and you but, know, and then it's just and like humans kill humans. Why wouldn't a pig kill? But it's kill hard humans? to. It's kind of like how um, it's it's like how hippos are the most dangerous animals mm -hmm. in Africa. You don't land animal in general, land, yeah. So you don't think that because you look at it, and you're like, oh, that little round so little guy. Yeah. And so there's something that kind of adds an extra layer of fear to this, in that it's almost the same as saying someone was eaten by a horse or that's was... why I wanted to set this case up with the the farming stuff yeah. because it's such ingrained into our everyday life that we farm these animals we eat them we drink from them but at any given moment they can kill you yeah like any animal the smallest animal can That'd kill be you cool if we had like an animal uprising like took over <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to do some unboxing. Oh, yeah. Now, this has been in my car for only three or four months. I don't even know. But this is for Alicia from oh, someone. Oh, how exciting. Yes. I don't know who it's from. Do you I remember? Do. I'll find her. All right. So the first package, and I'm going to have Alicia open it, <gasps> is from our friend Heidi. And what's her handle on Instagram? It is at Ren Tie-Dye. That's W-R-E-N-T-I-E-D-Y-E. Now, she's doing some cool work on cloud tie-dyeing, 
And we're going to send her a couple of t-shirts to do for us. And I'm very excited about it. And she sent us a little treat. Here's some ASMR unboxing. Well, unpackaging. Ooh. That's sexy. Oh, that's real nice. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Enough of that. Oh, these Let's look take fun. a look. Okay, so pillowcases. they're pillowcases. Ooh, these look good. Ooh. Okay, so it's like a dark cloud pattern. It looks like our logo on our website. I love it. We should put pillows in these and have them out here for our backs. Should we make an entire bed set for people that want to sleep on murder in the rain? Oh, that sounds like a fun idea. Let me see about getting these some are really sheets. cool. These are really cool, Heidi. Thank you. So you can not only custom order things to be tie-dyed. She's also going to be at the Inglewood Forest Festival in Inglewood. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good guess. The Inglewood Forest Festival in Inglewood on August 14th of this year. So you can go check out her work. Definitely follow her on Instagram. She's got a lot of good, like traditional tie-dye that's kind of like the groovy stuff and then Really cool, more modern look since tie-dye is so in right now. It is. And we will be and showing I, off. We'll be posting our, our swag. Cases. I love that she like um, plays around with it to try to yeah. get new te techniques going. That's pretty yeah. neat. It really looks like you could put our logo on that and it would look like. Uh, we might need to try that. That'd be fun. <laughs> we could do an iron on. Oh, that would be cool. Again, that's Ren, W-R-E-N, tie-dye on Instagram. And uh, in general, we love getting stuff. Not because we're like, send us free stuff, but we love it. We love that someone made Murder in the Rain themed pillowcases. We've had artwork done. It's super cool. Someone also sent us a book about the Susan Powell case, so I can look into that even more because we're both super into it. So if you ever are interested in sending us anything in the mail, we actually have a P.O. box. Also, we want to give you guys your props. And if you are selling something. Yeah, for sure. You give us a little, little tidbit <laughs> of it. We'll give you a shout out. We love themed pew, anything. Pew, pew. So, uh, yeah, feel free. Uh, our P.O. Box is listed on our website. P.O. Box 1504, Lake Grove, Oregon, 97035. It's also that. So... <laughs> Anyway, so thank you wow, to everyone that. Wow, sound like we're hard up for stuff. <laughs> Guys, please. Please send me stuff. Send us a piece of mail. <laughs> Write me a love letter. No, it's just fun to get it mail. It is fun. Oh, my goodness. I was so excited. When... I didn't know you were getting a book, so I got so excited when <laughs> I saw this in the P.O. box, because usually we just get some mail from a lawyer that used to have right. our P.O. box. But Anyway, we're hard up for stuff. Send us stuff. <laughs> it's the only way we'll love you. Um, JK. Otherwise, you're dead to us. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put that on there. Sharing is caring, guys. Bye. <laughs>talk about something right now actually oh okay. oh my god for um, bloopers i'm pregnant with twins no just kidding Ugh. no i just thought of i wanted to share with you you know you You're were talking pregnant. about doing a big pregnant Jesus by Christ. twins i'm sorry chloe pregnant in the, by twins chloe in the <laughs> i don't know who the dad is but does it matter dna test won't tell you it was a great time <laughs> i would i would of anyone that's true oregon's agricultural project projects oregon's agricultural pro Oregon's adju- <laughs>
Arjun's agriculture <clears throat> pageants. Doing the math quickly, that's 75 deaths per year in the United States caused by farm animals. Animals. <laughs> And greatest moment of sixth grade history when Jeff, my arch nemesis, offered to read and said the wrong word. And what might that word have been? I don't know. You remember it 25 Hold years on. later? Instead of organism, he said orgasm. No. Oh, that's pretty classic. <laughs> I hated him. One time I kicked him down the stairs and his he went to go tell on me to his dad and his dad sided with me. His dad You pushed him down the stairs. He was hitting me. And so I kicked him and he fell down the stairs and his How dad said stairs? Sir, you're right. Just a few, like little half staircase. He was fine, stupid idiot. I have an invention. It's called a tie dicky. And it's just a tie with the knot. And then it has a little piece of elastic here. So when you wear like a sweater or something, you don't have your whole fucking tie underneath. You can just put on your tie, Dickie. Thank you. T- copywritten Shark Tank. Thank you. And then in high school, <laughs> uh, in retaliation, when my prom date got chicken pox and I asked him for money back on our prom tickets because we weren't going, he goes, he can get his back, but you don't have chicken pox, so you can still go. You can't get your money back. I'm like, bitch, I'm not going without my prom date. And he like wouldn't. That piece of shit holding his over my head like that. (laughs) Well, the good thing is you don't carry it with you. So, Murder in the Rain is produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Written and hosted by Emily Rowney and Alicia Holland. Artwork by Jamie Costa. Music by Kai Pfeiffer at kyfifer.com. Check out our website, murderintherain.com, for additional information on all cases, a fun interactive map, and be sure to subscribe so you can receive our newsletter. Check out the Mad Props page for coupon codes from some of our sponsors. We love your reviews and seeing them on all streaming platforms, especially iTunes. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And suck my balls. (laughs) Please put that in. (laughs) 